Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the House the Hinky Built podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Frank, and per usual, I'm hosting this on Spotify Green Room. Uh, today, I'm going to bring on Brian Geisinger, who covers uh, uh, men's AC- ACC basketball over at ACC Sports and the NBA draft in the Charlotte Hornets over at Sports Channel 8. Uh, he is the co-host of the BuzzBeat Pod, uh, which is the Hornets podcast. Um, the plan today is to get insights on who the Sixers have in their newest two-way signee in, uh, in Grant Riller. Uh, obviously, he was with the Hornets last year uh, in the Greensboro Swarm, played mostly in the G League bubble. Um, but I want to get Brian's thoughts on kind of what what to expect uh, from Riller, what's translated from college, where he still falls short. Um, then we'll get some of Brian's just general thoughts on the Sixers offseason, how he perceives them heading into the year. And then we'll dive in a little bit to some Hornets talk. Um, we'll talk about wh- how he feels they've approached this offseason, um, what he expects for LaMelo and company in year two. Will they take a step forward? Will they take a step back? Um, so we'll bring him on, as always, wherever you uh, get your podcast. It would mean a ton if you could review and subscribe. I know we've been off for about a week, but still trying to do about two to three podcasts a week during the offseason. Um, so we'll get ramping up here with training camp about five weeks away. Um, but Brian is in the room now. And we are going to invite him on stage and uh, talk some Riddler, talk some Sixers, and uh, a little bit of Hornets talk to uh, end uh, today's podcast. But uh, excited to have Brian on. Hey, Brian. How are you today? I'm good, man. How about you? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. I'm doing well. It's a bit of an overcast Sunday morning in uh, Portland here, but uh, no complaints. It's uh, without a ton of AC in my uh, apartment. It's a little better than when it's hot, so I can't complain. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I've only been to Portland once, but one of my favorite cities uh, in the country. Love Portland. It's a if you can deal with the rain, it's 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 nice to live year round. But it's especially nice in that that June to yeah mid September area. Yeah, um, but but yeah, I'm excited to talk some Grant Riller, talk some Sixers, and then uh, get into some Hornets uh, discussion. But um, obviously, you know. Riller didn't play much for the Hornets uh, on his two-way contract. We played 11 games with the Greensboro Swarm last year. I'm just kind of curious, what did you think of his performance in those games? Maybe what strengths translated from college? What what weaknesses did he still have? The big ones, the weaknesses were, from my perception, because I scouted him pretty in-depth from college Charleston, uh, the defense, the passing consistency, and then you know the, the, the jumper in terms of willingness to take threes and whatnot. So, What's just kind of your perception of Riller in his rookie year and kind of who are the Sixers getting on this this two-way contract? Yeah, I mean, I, I too, really liked Riller a lot as a prospect. And um, I thought Charlotte getting him late in the 2020 second round sort of uh, kind of saved their second round because I, I didn't particularly love the Vernon Carey Jr. or the, the Nick Richard picks. Uh, to get Riller late second was... I thought a pretty good steal. Unfortunately, I mean, he didn't play a, a, sing, a single, you know, meaningful minute uh, for the Hornets this season. But as far as like the stuff with the swarm goes, he shot the ball, uh, you know, pretty well actually, over thirteen mm-hmm. points per game uh, in uh, with the G League affiliate this year. Fifty-two uh, percent on twos, sixty-eight percent uh, around the rim, like in the restricted area, forty-eight percent on above the break threes, um, which is where about 40% of his field goal attempts came from this season. So uh, that was pretty good. It is worth noting that a lot of those above the break threes kind of came assisted. Um, Riller sort of playing kind of in that, 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 you know, sort of in that combo guard role that we saw him in 
um, at Charleston playing on the basketball a lot, but maybe not being like sort of the lone, uh, you know, the guy that's bringing it up and initiating the offense, sort of uh, becoming more of a featured player when the possession turns to, you know, more of an, an attack approach or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but shot pretty well at the rim, got to the rim a decent number amount of time. I thought the stuff that he did with uh, with the Swarm this year, some of the rim numbers kind of looked like what you saw at, at Charleston. Um, mm-hmm. He missed some time uh, leading into the season, missed some of like the, the preseason games, missed some of the training camp experience. Um, so I think he was like a little slow to get going, but then he sort of picked it up and you know was one of the more impressive players for uh, the swarm this season. I, I do think it's interesting, like Charlotte, in late July, start of August, like had a decision to make on Riller. Um, they chose to not extend a qualifying offer, which mm-hmm. was ended up saving them about, you know, one five, one point seven million in space. I guess as they were sort of trying to like maximize the, the space that they could potentially have for themselves um after the Plumley edition and, and going into free agency, they still could have brought Riller back on uh you know on another two-way contract but mm-hmm. then pretty quickly even before like play in, in vegas got started they announced they'd signed scotty lewis who was a, a late second round pick out of florida this year mm-hmm. and arnoldus kabulka uh to their two-way deals and so you know riller was the point guard for them in summer league but sort of without like a real like set place on the on the roster hence why uh, you know, Philadelphia snapped him up pretty quickly once uh, once I guess Vegas was was finished up. But um, in summer league, I thought Riller uh, struggled a good bit. Like the, the the shooting numbers are pretty pretty scary to look at. The three point <laughs> shooting in a small sample kind of fell off a cliff. Um, I don't think his ability to create advantage off a live dribble were quite as impressive or as kind of what you're hoping for to see mm-hmm. or sort of like how I was projecting him out of Charleston, you know, nine months ago. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think even when he was able to get into the paint, it's not like he couldn't do it. Like, you know, he's he still has a good first step. He's still quick. Um, I don't think he looks quite as bursty as he did, uh, like, again, his, his final season at, at Charleston. But – I do think on, on some of those moments, just like the, the size and length around the basket bothered him. Um, and at least out in Vegas, he didn't quite have the finishing craft, I think, to sort of like compensate uh, at times. But he was put in kind of a, a tough situation. Like it was a young yeah. roster. He was playing with a ton of rookies um, and really two guys that are like big development projects in, in, in Kai Jones and in JT4. And, um, you know, they gave James Booknight and DJ Carton plenty of like creation possessions too. And, and I thought book night, that was a, a bit of a mixed bag. I mean, maybe we can get into that if you want to, mm-hmm. but um, I even thought Riller was sort of like swinging and missing on some of like the no brainer stuff, like mm-hmm. organizing a half court offense kind of as it's like primary ball handler, picking up guys in transition, defensive rotations. Like there was some sort of just like really, I kind of felt like no duh, obvious mm. stuff for a second year guard and, and a guard that's 24 and will turn 25 during next season that I kind of thought he shouldn't have been um, missing on like really, really basic stuff. But um, look, I, I think if you want to like lean into Riller and, and consider the the upside a little bit, um, I, I still think, you know, you have to go back to what you saw uh, before uh, he got to the professional ranks, like what you saw at Charleston 
and then just hope that he can package that along with some of the three-point shooting you saw down in the bubble because he was pretty good from above the break. I still think there's potential for, for Riller. I just – I if you talked to me a year ago, I would have thought this guy has their chance to come in, be a high-end, you know, backup guard, you know, you know, run a second unit, give you some scoring and some scoring punch and some downhill driving off the bench, be like a top six, seven guy in a, in a rotation and possible to be a, to do that on a winning team. And, um, and I'm, I'm not sure, like, I, I'm, I'm wondering if we need to sort of like amend that to an extent, but I will be curious to see if like a change of scenery uh, with the Sixers organization maybe gives him the, the boost that he hopefully needs. Yeah. Uh, and I will say, I don't like, ever, I don't want to just like, make this a, a plug my own stuff but if people are curious about what like the optimistic version of grant Riller. i wrote a piece on dime up rocks last summer um i'm sure if you just search grant Riller dime up rocks you can find i like i, I had mm-hmm. really top 20 guys so people are looking for maybe that idea of who brian i thought he was pre-draft last year um that would be the optimistic lens but yeah i mean that is interesting because it's such a, a tough context for like because teams want to use the g league to like not the G League, they want to use summer league to see, like, experiment with the players that they're invested in. And the Hornets, as you kind of laid out, didn't show investment in Grant Riller yeah. heading into the op to, to the summer league. But uh, in a different light, you said that like a lot of context independent thing, things independent of context, he he fell short on. So um, yeah, I, like I did I, I'm not going to say like I watched much. Like, I probably watched a game and a half of the Hornets, and it wasn't like I was like watching it with a with too careful eyes. So. I don't know a ton about him there, but um, the the thing that caught my eye looking at his G League stats is so in college he was a guy who you know could get he was so explosive he had strength he had he had burst he could finish with either hand around the rim had a good mid range game had a, had a nice little like old man post game as well mm-hmm. um, and so he didn't take a ton of threes but he was like you didn't feel like oh he's a bad shooter uh, and he also drove a bunch of free throws like in college um four years his three-point rate was uh 31 his free throw rate was 39 percent in the g league it was kind of a flip-flop where he was a 51 percent 51 percent of his shot for threes only got to the line uh 14.7 of his so his free throw rate was like 14.7 percent yeah did you, what did you make of that was that was he just not able to get those two feet in the paint and create advantages like what because that just is weird to me like it did not it's it's atypical of what you think of Riller as a guy who has a three-point rate that high and a free throw rate that low so was it was the athletic upgrade just a little bit tough for him? Because that was that's kind of the point working against him for a while is that he's playing in the CAA. He didn't really play a lot of high major teams. His numbers on the aggregate in four years at College Charleston were not great against high major teams. So what did you make of that? Because those numbers just just stood out to me. Because he's a guy that I always thought would be physical, gets the rim, draw a lot of fouls and contact and whatnot. So any any insight on maybe what what led to that uh, kind of declining free throw rate in the G League? Yeah, in in part of it, I was wondering if maybe to an extent, like the if the G League free throw rules like play a factor mm-hmm. into that at all. Like he only took he only took what fifteen free throws in eleven games. I mean, he made a bunch of them. So I was wondering if like you know if he's if he's making the one free throw that counts as two points or whatever, and That's you know true. he's not getting the second. So I, I thought maybe that was factoring into the the calculus a little bit. I mean, again, he missed some time preseason. I think maybe there were some issues with the knee. Do you remember around the draft there being some like questions regarding his medicals? Yeah. I, you know? I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't want to speculate too much because I don't have anything right. to feel firm to go on, but I do know I've right. heard from people that I trust that like there was at least something. Like I don't have, 
I don't have any like specifics of this injury at this time, but there are people that, yeah. I, that I've heard from who are in the know about these things. And there were some, some hesitancies and in, in, in whatnot about his uh, medicals, but that's a great point about the, the free throw thing. I always forget that the G league had that yeah. this year. It was like, <laughs> yeah, it was before like the last two minutes of a game, the last minute of the first half. So that, so if you took 15, yeah. is that more, is that closer to like 30 actually? Like how maybe, I, you know, So I don't know how that, I don't know how that exactly works, but that would make some sense. I imagine, I mean, it's, it's fine, but it's like it, when you, when you have a different free throw rate on the same site, when you're looking at basketball reference, you go to, you go to LaMelo's free throw rate and then you look at Grant Rillers on the same site. It's not the same. They didn't get, they didn't get them the same way. So that that makes some sense. Is there anything else you want to add? I apologize if I, I cut you off at all there. No, no, it's good to, it's good to, to I'm, I'm, thank you for, for providing that. Yeah, I mean, he missed his freshman season at Charleston with a knee injury. That's a long time ago. He still looked plenty bursty, like, later in his career. So, you know, I do think sort of, like, the upgrade in athleticism and length is really as someone who is a little bit smaller and, you know, really needs to maximize that first step and, and then turn into sort of a, a burrowing driver after that. And I don't know if he was able to leverage that quite as well against NBA size and, and, uh, and, and length. Um, you know, he got to the rim. Like, again, the, the rim numbers at Greensboro are pretty good. Like 75% of his makes at the rim were unassisted. About 27, 28% of his shots, field goal attempts came in the restricted area. Like, that's, you know, that's okay. That's maybe not um, quite an elite number. And that, that was sort of like one of the things, one of the selling points for Riller as a prospect was he was just such an elite uh, guy that he could touch the paint, uh, mm-hmm. get to the rim every single time, and he made it look easy. Um, it didn't feel like it came like that. Um, at least, certainly thinking more recently, like Vegas Summer League. Um, Again, not like he was unable to do it, but it was more difficult and it was harder for him to sort of like capitalize on that advantage uh, just because uh, having to finish against so much size at the rim, um, kind of a big difference with NBA type talent and uh, the CAA. But like, I'm not off Riller as a a prospect yet, Um, but, you know, he, he is a little bit older. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know, like if it's going to happen, it's, it's gotta be soon uh, with, with Riller. Yeah, that's, that's a good, it's not like we're looking at a guy who played a year or two years in college and he's going to be mm-hmm. 22 next year, he's going to be 25, which is by no means not that you're saying that, but you just, you mean, it's by no means like the end, like it's the end of his run, but it just, right. it's harder when you're that, when you're that old, when you're older than that. I won't say that old, my goodness. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. I, as I continue to get older, I don't like to preface things as guys being old because then that calls myself old. I need to save, yeah. I need to frame it in the context of the sport <laughs> rather than life. Yeah, um, I'm talking about this guy who's 24. He's, a, he's probably eight months older than me, or something like that. <laughs> so, um, I, and so, so for me, I will say like, so I didn't. I haven't watched a ton of Riller since he. I watched a little bit of him when, with the Swarm. Um, but I will say, at least in the in the context of this, I like the move because Rajon Tucker was just not very good in summer yeah. league. Um, yeah. But you know, the jumper just hasn't really been there. He was a good shooter in college. And that was kind of one of those things for for Rajon where the the, sh- the jumper kind of set up his slashing. He's such an explosive athlete; he can make some simple reads, but it just wasn't there um, in summer league. So I don't mind that. Like I, I think it's I think it was a smart move by the Sixers to try and maximize that two way mm-hmm. in a different outlet. Like I I watched all the games and I was going to do a podcast kind of recapping uh, all the notable guys and I was going to talk about Tucker and be like I don't know if he's the best you know use of a two way. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they they wave him and they sign Rayler. So. Um, I guess the, the front office is in my, uh, in my thoughts apparently. Um, but the, so the, the two things I do want to address before we maybe shift gears a little bit is 
What did you make of Riller's passing and defense? Because those are the two things I think, generally speaking, if you're looking at reason, like you watch Riller, like, yes, he's an awesome scorer. He can get downhill. He's got a mid-range pull-up. Um, like he's a great finisher with either hand. Like this guy should be a top 20 pick. But the, the hesitancies for the most part, you know, beyond maybe conference where, well, like if the jump, if the scoring isn't quite as good, is the passing good enough? If the scoring is not as good, like, is the defense there? So, what have you made of those areas of his game? Because I thought the the best way for me to describe them in college was inconsistent. He made some really nice reads. Um, he made some really nice defensive rotations, honestly, at times. But he would get blown by. He'd die on screens. He'd miss easy rotations. He'd miss easy reads as a, as a driver. Um, so it was just really inconsistent and tough to get a great read unless you watched every single game he played. So, what did you make of those parts of his game in? in the G League and maybe Summer League as well. You, you alluded to a little bit in Summer League, but I'm just curious kind of what kind of progress we've seen, if any, from him in the last 10 months, 8 months. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things where, like, the assists aren't, like, a perfect metric to measure passing by any stretch. Because, like, his assist numbers in Vegas, in a small sample, were, like, yeah, they, they look pretty good or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I thought I, I thought it was okay. I don't think, you know, with his – with. A, I don't think he's quite bending the defense like we like you saw him do in college because of, mm-hmm. it's just harder to get to the rim. We just talked touched on that a little bit, and that's what created some of those reads. I don't think he's making any sort of like multi layered passes. Uh, you know, I do think sometimes he struggles with sort of like where to space out, where to go with the basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I don't. I didn't feel like he was like really like operating at a super high level as like the primary creator for it, at least more again more recently the Vegas summer league team. But we also touched on some of the reasons why that may be a little more difficult. Uh, context being important, just with some of the younger guys uh, that he was uh, p- playing with, not a lot of like secondary creation or, or ball handling on that roster outside of maybe uh, James Booknight. Um, and then defensively, like, again, just some sort of, like, small miscues here and there, like who to pick up in transition, I, I didn't think was necessarily great. The the point of attack ball pressure, um, you know, I'd have to almost go back and rewatch some of those games to really give you, like, a better sort of report <laughs> yeah. on where, where I thought he was, like, one-on-one defensively. Um, I, I didn't think it really stood out either way. I don't will say I don't think the team defense was, like, all that good. Mm-hmm. Um, just in terms of like matching up and transition rotations in the half court. Um, I thought that stuff stuck out as, is a little bit, maybe a little bit more problematic. Yeah. I, I think, I think that makes sense. And again, it's, it's something like a small sample. Like it's, it's really important to not take a ton away from that. And like, it, it, it's interesting because like some, I mean, it's still, I mean, it's still the middle of the summer, obviously you got like really or someone who, you know, has to kind of come to that setting ready like not that anyone mm-hmm. doesn't but you know there's but still you don't know like where he's at in his training and those sorts of things so um i think a uh, much if you're if people are looking for like what sort of guy can maybe we expect maybe the better sample would be to try and find some g league tape there um but my, my thoughts on it like i i think again it's, i think it's a it's an upgrade over tucker at the very least um, yeah and I, i'm curious to see if like i i like kind of the fit between springer and and Riller if they get some minutes together with with the blue coats obviously you don't love maybe the the outside shooting as much because both love to get in the paint, but uh, I really kind of like that pairing for a lot of other reasons. I think it could be pretty interesting if they get some run in, in the blue coats. Um, do you th- if you kind of if you had the Detroit like do you think the guys the, the Hornets decide to use their two ways on were better applications of it, or do you think Riller might have been a better better use of, of one of those spots? Still, just kind of given what you've seen from him during his tenure with with Charlotte. Yeah, you know, I did. I did. Again, I liked Riller as a lot as a prospect. I was not 
really quite willing to cut bait with him so so quickly, <laughs> especially because the there was some some encouraging stuff I, I think in the G League, and I thought later in the in the bubble season he started to play play better. Um, I would have loved to have even seen more minutes for him on the you know the the actual Hornets roster last season, especially when at the same time Malik Monk was down, Lamelo Ball was down, and Gordon Hayward were all out during that stretch of time in like late March through April. Um, and Charlotte really could have used an extra ball handler instead of like trying Riller. You know they played a lot of Brad Wanamaker, which like you know who cares? Mm. Um, so that that was like a little a, a little disappointing, and it makes me wonder just quite how much investment Charlotte, outside of taking him second, had in in Riller. Um, so I don't know. That's something they probably consider. I don't mind using the one of the two ways on on Scotty Lewis, um, a late second round pick and yeah, a guy because of his maybe because of his point of attack defense, maybe he's able to actually. Mm-hmm. Help help out a night or two with, with a Hornet team that's really devoid of um, you know a length and point of attack uh, defense at the, at the guard spots this year. Maybe there's some creative ways to, to use Lewis with Lamelo, but you know I think we'll see him more in, in Greensboro. And then with Kabolka and, and forgive me, I, I'm actually not sure the exact pronunciation of his name. It's been it's been said you know twelve different ways even during. Uh, even during Las Vegas, but let's just call him Barney, actually, just so we, we don't, uh, I don't want to actually botch someone's last name yeah, consistently absolutely. again and again. Uh, but aren't, you know, a guy that can move around like, you know, sort of like a hybrid forward movement shooter type um, that I even thought like had some decent, like shot fake, put the ball in the deck once or twice, you know, um, aspects to his game flashes or whatever, which is, is important. You know, it can't be just like a straight, um, you know, catch and shoot guy. You've got to be able to have you know a little bit else to sort of like augment that. Um, I thought he played pretty well out in Vegas. Like, was the team's best shooter, I would say, uh, non uh, Leangelo Ball division. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I think I probably like he's a guy that Charlotte took in the second round in 2018, and it just seemed like at various points that Charlotte had also sort of like cut bait on him. Like he had been playing in Spain the last couple of years. I thought there were stretches of time where it seemed like it was just done. Like he wasn't going to come over. Um, and yeah, this is, this was going to be a drafted stash guy that just literally never came. And then uh, for me, I was kind of a little caught by surprise that not only was he coming over, but he was also getting one of the, the, the two way contracts, but Hey, he played pretty well on Vegas. He can really shoot. He can shoot off the move. Um, so I don't think they did like a, 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 you know, I would have preferred Rillard to probably to have gotten one of the two-way spots because I'm just not ready to give up on him quite yet. But, uh, you know, Kabolka or Arnie and, and Lewis, I mean, that's it. it it's fine. Um, mm. I, I'm, I'm okay with sort of like, I don't really love how they built this roster out. Like Charlotte built the roster out in general this offseason. So just how they actually use the two-way contracts just sort of rates lower on my my list of uh, of concerns uh, with with really like the the 2021 offseason Charlotte had. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think that, that all makes sense. And um, I will say, I think one of the things that I, I kind of heard secondhand was there was a, lot, a little bit lack of enthusiasm for Riller's you know capacity to run an offense. That was part of, like part of the reason maybe the Hornets were a little less encouraged by him. Um, but I think just it goes to show you just in terms of like cycling back to draft stuff like like yeah you net like you never want to be beholden to where a guy is going to get drafted but you probably do have to factor it in because you just get more opportunities to hire if you're yeah. if i thought Riller was the 16th best prospect in his class maybe i should have had him a little lower in terms of just 
projecting how good he could be because the opportunities aren't going to be there. But um, yeah, I think I think that all makes sense. I think he's a he's a he's a worthwhile you know pickup for the Sixers. Um, I think you know again you have much more insight on kind of the two guys uh, the, the Hornets opted for. Instead, obviously, I'm fairly familiar with Scotty Lewis's game. Yeah, um, you know, he's been a, been a mainstay on the recruiting circuit, the draft circuit, in some capacity for a few years now. Um, but yeah, and I think for the Sixers, you know, they have a lot of guards, but ideally if Riller can be that kind of spark plug, they would really benefit from that. Um, they've got, and they've, they've got the defensive infrastructure when you have drill and B and you, you have Ben Simmons, you know, for, for as long as they have him, uh, (laughs) um, you could, you have more leeway in terms of like going for largely offensively inclined players. And so. Uh, and even you look, you look at guys like you have Jaden Springer and Tyrese Maxey. Um, even Isaiah mm-hmm. Joe is a, is a pretty solid defensive guy. So um, I think I think Riller makes a lot of sense there because he brings an important skill set, ideally offensively. Uh, and if even if the defense isn't there, um, he's got a lot of good team defenders and playmakers who can kind of like you know uh, mitigate some of those those concerns. But anything else you want to add about Riller and kind of your perception of him on the Sixers before maybe we shift gears to broadly what you've you've made of the Sixers the last few months? Um, yeah, I guess the, the one just, this just popped into my mind. Do you think, uh, not to, I guess maybe this will, this is just works as a transition of sorts. Do you think like, uh, Joe cracks the rotation this year? Like, is he, does he get ahead of Korkmaz on the, on the wing? Is that, is that a possibility this season? Yeah, that's a great question because I just did, uh, the let's watch film with, with the, with PD Webb and a few others yesterday. And, uh, I was breaking down Isaiah Joe. Um, and it was basically all through that lens. Um, mm-hmm. like what did I see in summer league that, you know, what I'm looking for, how can he, because that's his path. That's his pathway. Like, I mean, when he was in the rotation for a couple of games, it was at the expense of Furkan court miles last year. That's his mm-hmm. path. He's, he is the, the wing shooter with some size. So I think it's possible. I, I get, I got mixed results from summer league. Um, I mean, obviously I'm not like, I don't want to deflect it all, but if people want my most in-depth thoughts, PD web has a YouTube channel to search PD web. It's the most recent thing. I'm the last stream on there. I go very in depth about what I saw from Isaiah Joe, but I I would I would be surprised if it happens early. But I but I wouldn't rule it out long term. Um, yeah, his passing looked a little better in some ways. Um, his defense is better than Furcon's. Furcon got a lot better defensively last year, but he still isn't as good as Isaiah Joe. Um, Joe was very good navigating screens for the most part. Uh, he's a good team defender. He loves drawing charges. He's physical despite weighing 198 pounds. Um, <laughs> Obviously, the shooting is there. like I think I think he has a higher shooting ceiling than Furkan because of uh, he squares his body so quickly. He's got a beautiful one motion release. Yeah, um, the thing working in Furkan's you know favor as a shooter, I think, uh, is that that pump fake is a legit weapon. Um, curious to see how much utility it has this year with the amended NBA rules. Um, but he gets defenders to leave their feet all the time on that up fake. Um, and the other thing working in Furkan's favor is he's a better interior player uh, in terms of like operating inside the arc. Um, a lot of the the quote-unquote negative plays that I broke down in yesterday's stream with PD were things where Isaiah Joe had to operate inside the arc with the ball in his hands or as a two-point score. Mm-hmm. Furkan isn't great, but um, he's better than that. And he's bigger, too. I mean, he's like 6'7". Isaiah Joe is about 6'4 and a half, 6'5". And neither one is, like, bulky, but Furkan definitely has more more kind of strength on him, so on his frame. So that's a long-winded way of saying I think it could happen, but I think it requires him to be a better kind of secondary or second-side creator. Right. Um, than we've seen now, because even though I think the defense is notably better, I don't think it's enough to the point where Doc and company go, yeah, that we want to play as Joe. Unless, unless 
Ferg on the 35% shooter from three this year, and Isaiah Joe was 39-40%, um, mm-hmm. maybe even 38%, but um, I mean, Furcon's been a 37, 38% guy the last couple of years. So, um, I mean, obviously there's enough, there's enough kind of margin of error with statistical samples with a chance he is 35%, but what we've seen doesn't really indicate that. So, um, it's possible, but I, but I, and I, I think the Sixers would have a mildly higher ceiling if Isaiah Joe's in the rotation. Um, I mean, he's not like the, the, the end all be all of those <laughs> sort of things, but um, the movement shooting, the defense, and kind of the secondary playmaking, I think, are really nice roles for Isaiah Joe or skills that you'd like him to offer. I just don't know if it's going to happen this year, um, but I wouldn't be surprised. But I, but I lean toward no. Um, but obviously, I mean, you know that I'm a, I'm a big Isaiah Joe proponent, and I think he yeah. looked pretty good in summer league. Um, it's important to note that, yeah, the efficiency wasn't great for him, but um, he was pretty dang good when he was kind of operating alongside Tyrese Maxey when he had to be the primary creator in a couple of games. One of which came against Chad McDaniels, who is not just, <laughs> not just like a league defender; he's a legit yeah. defender. So that, that kind yeah. of efficiency there. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, we're just kind of extending my, my let's watch film thoughts to the podcast here, but uh, or the stream. But yeah, I think it's possible. But I but I would be I would be skeptical to see it happen early. But I think the Sixers would be a little have a little higher uh, ceiling if it did happen um, for them. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, I mean, I like I like Joe as a prospect, obviously, because of the movement shooting and the shooting range, which was ridiculous. But just the, the ancillary skills that went around that, the defense. So, um, I mean, I'd love to see him uh, actually carve out a role in Philadelphia. And just, I don't know, if, if we're going to spring into Sixers thoughts, uh, uh, you know, we can do it with some Jaden Springer talk or whatever. I just, this was the second draft in a row that I really liked what Philadelphia did. Like getting Maxie late in the first round last year, getting Springer late. If Springer, I had the lottery grade on, on Jaden Springer and would have been very happy if Charlotte had taken him at, at 11. Obviously, he fell much, much further in, in the draft than that. But I, I love Springer as a prospect um, and, and obviously getting, getting Joe in second round last season as well. So um, I don't know. I, I'm hopeful to see Maxie after, I guess, the uh, – you know, having some flashes uh, in, uh, in the regular season and then even in the, the, the playoff series against Atlanta. Like, I'd love to see him carve out a bigger role as a guy that can play on both ends and give him some rim yeah. pressure. Um, I think that's obviously going to be really important. Uh, I'm thrilled that Joel Embiid got, you know, got paid again this summer. Um, mm-hmm. He's awesome. On some nights, he, you know, I think he's the best basketball player in the world. You know, I, I think yeah. right now that's sort of a baton that gets passed back and forth. But on certain nights, I mean, he is just I mean, all-encompassing yeah, and, and dominant, yeah. you know. There were times, I mean, in the playoffs last year where I, where I was like, he's playing like the best player in the world. Obviously, it didn't end as well, unfortunately, because yeah. he had a little bit too big of a creation load and dealing with the torn meniscus and um, Tobias struggling and Ben struggling. It kind of put him in a really tough spot offensively. But, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, like, I think – you know, I'm not going to get in the huge like best player in the world discussion. Not that you're yeah, going right. to invite that, but I think at the very least you have a guy who can play up to that standard, and that's kind of what you need to win a title, or that is, that is what you yes. need to win a title. Um, yeah. Obviously, the Sixers kind of fall short in surrounding talent, um, but you ha- they have the hardest you know kind of skill set or archetype to get. Um, and that, I mean, that's a broad archetype; it can come in all shapes and forms. But yeah, I think with Maxi, like what I saw in summer league was just a guy who like really had some multifaceted scoring in a way that I don't think we saw 
as much of early in the year as a rookie, um, or even at Kentucky as much. Um, part of the reason, like, I loved Maxie coming into Kentucky is because I loved kind of his scoring diversity, um, whether it was the floater getting the rim, the pull-up. And you saw a lot more comfort, com- confidence or comfort, whatever f- word you want to use there, with the pull-up from three this past year or this in summer league. Only played two games. He didn't have to pass a bunch um, because he was so good. I will, I wanted to see a little more passing volume just from my own analysis, but understood why we didn't get it. But I think I think he's a guy at the very least you could project to be like maybe there's a little optimistic, but like the sixth, seventh, eighth best player on the team, and that that's useful. Mm-hmm. I think I don't know where exactly what he was last year. I'd have to think about it, but um, I don't think he was that good. Um, but if he does get that good this year, like if he, I think if he is their kind of their sixth best player. Um, next year they'll be in a pretty good spot. Again, a lot of what they do next season hinges on the entire Ben Simmons situation. Of course. Um, and I don't want to use situations like a pejorative in any way. It's just, it just is what it is. Um, you know, the, so with all the reports and whatnot, but, but I think Maxi is a guy who clearly factors in significantly to how good they can be. Um, I've talked with a couple of people, just not like in the organization, but just like, you know, people that I enjoy talking basketball with and they, they kind of say like, you know, if Maxi were two years older, it would be greater two years into further his career. Or Joel Embiid was a couple of years younger, mm-hmm. um, you'd feel really good because I mean, he's kind of more or less what they've needed for so long. Um, you know, it's it's not he's not Jimmy Butler, but there are definitely some there's some overlap between what he and Jimmy offer offensively. Obviously, Jimmy's comes in an all defense six eight package, um, but I think kind of the rim pressure, two feet in the paint, something they've needed from the guard position. Um, but I'm mean, like, what did what do you have any kind of thoughts on like any any of the, the Fred Sixers signs? Um, I think it was just Niang and, and Donna Drummond, or do you like any yeah. any like any? I don't want to like, do a big Ben Simmons things. I've done that a ton of these podcasts, but any like destination <laughs> that you love for him that you think maybe makes sense for him as, as a basketball player? Because that's uh, for me, that's most important. I want him to go to a situation he enjoys and recover. But also, there, there's fact of matter like anything that you think makes sense for Ben, but also could offer the sort of like players and you know, picks and whatnot the Sixers would actually entertain probably you know probably nothing you already haven't you because these <laughs> these discussions have been going on for so long now so probably nothing you haven't like already kicked the can on um yeah. I mean I love the thought of him getting into a, Simmons getting into a situation where he's playing with a you know a, a powerful gravity you know pull-up shooter at the guard position and uh, and and Simmons and in uh, enough shooting on the perimeter, so Simmons can be your one like interior slasher. You can try to get to some of the short roll stuff. Um, obviously, he's in a, just an otherworldly player on the defensive side of the court. Uh, love everything a- a- about his defense, um, but but I, I would like to for him to find a role offensively where he gets to play with a big time pull up you know, shooting guard. Um, Simmons essentially gets to be your like four on offense. You have a five that can offer some stretch or whatever too, or doesn't need the ball as much. Um, and, you know, could just float around in the dunker spot, but just a role that's going to have Simmons engaged and aggressive with a lot of shooting around him. Because like, I think in any Sixers person listening to this knows this better than I do. Like if you watch the Sixers in the playoffs, you know what this looks like. Of just like when the switch flips with Simmons, Simmons and he's just, just hanging in the dunker spot. It looks kind of rudderless. And it just, 
it's so un, it's such an unfortunate way to see him you like for for things to play out because he's obviously like an Adonis and like it's a total freak and a one of a kind you know not one of a kind but a really special finisher you know in the paint um one of you know one of the best guys at doing that when he's not you know afraid of being fouled or or whatever I guess so I'd love for Simmons to play with a guy like Lillard you know I mean I think those Portland packages make some sense even if the return centered around McCollum like isn't you know probably isn't going to be enough to to excite a lot of like Philadelphia fans but I I love the thought of him getting to play with someone like like Lillo like Dame Lillard um you know the Golden State ones never make much sense to me because I just don't really think you can build a a functional you know postseason offense that has both Draymond Green and Ben Simmons on the court so as cool as much as I'd love to see Simmons play with Steph, like I think they would be really awesome together. Um, and defensively, you know, Simmons and and Draymond would complement one another so so well. I just can't see that fit making really any sense um, offensively, even with all of the sort of like you know uh, passing and, and brain power and, and finishing on the court with Simmons that you would have with the, the triangle involving you know, Clay and Steph and who knows, we'll see how good Clay is and, and Draymond. So, um, I don't know. The, the Portland one makes, makes some sense to me. I'm not sure like where, w- w- like in your own discussions and your own thoughts, like where you and, and some other sort of like, like-minded Sixers people have, or people that cover the team have sort of arrived on with, uh, with Ben though. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm sure for people who have listened to this podcast or every episode I do, this is probably going to be fairly redundant. Um, but that's okay. Um, we, it is August 22nd. Uh, we are two months removed from the season. We are over two months, or just under two months now from the start of the regular season. Um, but I think what's really tough, and I've talked about it, is if Ben Simmons were good, like if he were good enough to be the 2B or, or number two on a title contender, the Sixers mm-hmm. wouldn't have any issues. But that also means they're not going to get back a, that caliber of player without adding the a Maxi, a Matisse, a Joe, a Springer, a Picks, mm-hmm. um, and those guys aren't available currently. You know, ob- like so, like I don't, I don't dislike the Portland Packers. Like, I would actually really love to see Ben in Portland. Like if they did a McCall- like a McCollum center deal, um, mm-hmm. which doesn't seem like to be the case based on things coming out of Portland. Um, that I, like I would love to see Ben around Dame and Rocco and Norm Powell. And even though Nurkic isn't much of a spacer right now, he has some passing equity, so you can at least yeah. station him away from the rim. Um, like that's a pretty optimal spot for him. So for Ben's sake, I would I would really like to see that. Um, but I get the head seat because McCollum doesn't doesn't take you any like doesn't get you to a place you want to go. Um, even if he's a he's a good player, he's a fringe all star, roughly he's a top forty ish forty five player, whatever you want to call him. Um, but I think he's less. I I, I never want to reduce players to this, but the the Sixers like they have to get they have to get more talent. Like it's just like that's the biggest issue. Yes, there are, there are some things they need to do specifically, but they just haven't been talented enough to win a title the last few years. Um, and I don't know if McCollum is the sort of guy you can put in a trade package that entices teams as much as Ben Simmons, because Ben, you know, there's the there's the idea like the Sixers aren't the most conducive situation for him. He's still pretty young um, in terms of you know, his basketball career. Um, McCollum is a little older. He's well established. He's kind of been in perceived good situations. So um, that's the tough part for me. Is like I I I understand like trying to go for McCollum, but they're just like you can't do it. Like, you can't do a Ben one for one type of swap or roughly that, and get to the next step you want to go because he's just not, like, he's very good, but he's not that caliber of player because if he was, we wouldn't be having these discussions. Yeah, yeah. Um, those are those are my thoughts on it. I, I don't envy the front office at all. I think it's a really tough situation to be in. 
because on one hand you don't want to just trade a guy when his value is at you know nearest lowest, um, and this is kind of he is kind of your you know again I'm not ever trying to advocate for a player just being a means to an end as a trade asset or trade not asset I don't like that word for players uh, just a, something that I guess helps facilitate a trade, but that's kind of their biggest avenue to get that like that number two or that co-star alongside Embiid right now, but at the same time like how like if you're Joel Embiid I'm not I'm not, I'm not going to speculate but, like you probably a little bit discouraged, like if the Sixers entered another postseason with with Ben there. Like it's tough yeah. to. It's not I'm not trying to like call up Ben or anything, but it's tough to feel great about like what he off. He, you just don't think you're going to get the ulcer level of Ben past the first round, and so it's just a tough spot to be in because yeah, maybe you want to be able to, you know, have some Ben be kind of leading the leading guy in a a Dame, a Dame deal or a Beal deal, mm-hmm. um, say Beal deal or Dame deal five times fast. Um, <laughs> So it's it's a tough spot to be in. I I've not made any firm stances really on how what I would do um, because I don't have to. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's my long winded way of saying I I like the fit in Portland for Ben, and I I wouldn't I don't think CJ McCollum would be a bad return by any means. I mean, again, he's I think he and Ben are in fairly similar tiers. I mean, it just depends on what you value. CJ has been he's obviously a much superior shot creator, but he hasn't been great in the playoffs. Um, for all of Ben's faults offensively past the first round, he's still been pretty awesome. Def- like, he was still really good defensive in that Hawks series. He was very good against you know, Kawhi in Toronto a couple of years ago. Obviously, didn't play against the Celtics in the bubble um, because of an injury. But so it's just it's a tough spot to be in. It's just so I don't I don't know exactly where they go. But that's that's how I view these things. Anything else you want to add about that situation or things about the Sixers in general? Maybe more broad scope. Yeah, just uh, just how like you know if if a Simmons deal does happen, it, it, I guess this really will be fascinating to see how long this 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 plays out. Um, I feel like the you know it's gonna be a long off season, and, and I guess we'll just yeah with so many with so much runway left on Simmons deal. I mean, it feels like this could really break a bunch of different ways. But assuming at some point Ben is traded. Um, you know, just be interested to see how like Philadelphia then constructs its perimeter defense, depending on mm-hmm. you know what the, what the package looks like around Embiid. You know, I don't really love the you know Drummond as the. I guess he's okay as a backup center. I, I don't know. I'm not. I, I, it's been a couple of years since I re- I really thought Drummond was doing much to really like drive you know winning basketball. <laughs> um, even in sort of like a, a limited role. I mean, I guess we'll see. But um, you know, you're just you're put you look Embiid's awesome. He could handle it, and but I will be fascinated to see like what a post Simmons like Philadelphia wing perimeter defense looks like. Obviously, with like you know Embiid anchoring everything, and it's not just they they have guys. I mean, like Jaden Springer. I, I know he didn't shoot well in Vegas, but the defense looked unsurprisingly yeah. looked awesome. Was, which on and off you know, the ball too, not just, just like, not just on the ball, off the ball. Totally is awesome. Totally, uh, just a monster. Like he's 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 so he's what he's still just eighteen too. Like he's gonna be he's gonna <laughs> yeah. be so he already is so good. He's gonna be an incredible defender. Um, Thibel, I thought Thibel had some cool flashes with the Australian national team this summer too. I thought mm-hmm. all of that was pretty encouraging on both sides of the court. Um, I you know I really like Matisse as as just as just a player too. I'll be curious to see like I guess what kind of season you get again from from Harris. I mean he was really good. Uh, mm-hmm. Last year for for Philadelphia and and obviously like I you know I love it's awesome to see the player that Seth Curry has built himself into is he's yeah, really like self made himself into one of the best shooters in the in the world that's not you know that's not hyperbole and it was awesome to see him have some moments. <laughs> 
in the playoffs. Oh, but yeah. uh, I'm just I'm fascinated to see Maxi getting to play more with Embiid, and you know, can he be that the North South you know you know pressure point for this team at the rim? And then I don't know, just the roster feels obviously feels really like not incomplete. Um, because if you look at this roster on paper, you're like, yeah, this is like one of the like two or three best teams in the East, you know, like in a vacuum, just looking at it on paper. Um, but just knowing that like it, the pieces could move around pretty significantly, mm-hmm. pretty significantly because of, uh, of, uh, Simmons. Yeah. I think, I think the way I, I think the way I kind of phrase it is your perception of all these different players could, re- will drastically change if a Simmons deal is made. Like you feel, yeah. you feel, uh, you feel confident kind of who the Sixers are in terms of like what you understand about them, but that could all change. I think the perimeter defense point is interesting because um, like, and one of the packages that I've become more, you know, receptive to is kind of maybe a Spurs centric package with one DeJounte. Of, with DeJounte or Derek White. Um, yeah. Obviously DeJounte is a little, he was, he's better defensively than Derek White, but Derek White is, has been very good defensively as well throughout his career. Um, he offers you a little more, I think, a little more confident uh, on ball on ball equity as a pull up shooting into those elbows and whatnot. Um, so I think that would be something interesting if you're looking for some some sort of like continuity. Um, mm-hmm. not, so that that would make sense. So the Indiana pack is interesting too because Brogdon is a, is a pretty good on ball defender as well. Yes. Size, yeah. So. Um, I do wonder if that's something they're like. Are they do they want that continuity defensively, or do they want to lean more into the offense? Like, it, you know, is it are we going to see kind of similar to the Lakers, where the Lakers had such a great defense last year and the year before that, and they'll be really good next year as well, but they went more into the offense, or are the Sixers going to be? You know, we got the defense. Let's just get a little. Let's just get some sort of like handler who can shoot off the dribble um, and make it work from there, but still kind of you know, remain who we are as a defensive first team. Not that I said that the Lakers aren't a defensive first team. They, I would imagine they will rank higher in defense and offense next year. Um, but yeah, it is an interesting spot for them to be. And the Drummond stuff, I think, like, I, he's, not, he's not great, but he's, I think he's absolutely an upgrade over Dwight Howard. And I think that's like, in, yeah. the point though is, like, and I've tried to make it, is even if he's like significantly better player than Dwight, I don't think it's a meaningful difference because he's a backup, Like he's only going to play 14 minutes a night at most. I mean, right. I, was about, right. I, guess, I guess MB was a 31 minutes per game player last year and missed, you know, a quarter of the year. So you get more than that, but um, generally speaking, from because you look at the Sixers through a playoff perspective, right? It's like, yeah, it's cool. They it, they I mean, they the one seed last year, but you're looking at about and so Embiid and when it matters, you're going to play 38 to 41 minutes a game. So you're looking at Drummond in that sense, like I guess yeah, he's an upgrade over Dwight, but like how much of an upgrade can he be in 10 minutes per game? Um, but I like mm-hmm. him there. I've talked about it. I think he's a better DHO guy. I think that makes some sense with Tobias and with with uh, with Seth Curry. You get Curry, the yeah. There. Um, yeah, because they'll they'll try and run some be- they'll run bench heavy lineups. Doc really liked the kind of four bench guys plus Tobias last right. year. Um, to a fault, I've, I've talked about it a lot, but um, <laughs> that sort of thing matters. Dwight has a little too much confidence in his ball skills. Drummond does too at times, but the the optimal outcome when Drummond has a ball in his hands and tries to make something happen, whether it's as a passer or DHO guy, is higher than it is with Dwight. So. Um, I'm not like Drummond is like the, the, the huge change, but I think you have to look at it in the team context. Not that you weren't. Um, yeah, but yeah, he's an upgrade over kind of his predecessor, and that that matters to a degree, especially when you're looking at a guy like Joel, who he's gonna he's gonna have some maintenance games in the regular season. He's just gonna he's gonna sit some back to back, maybe on road trips. Um, he's gonna probably miss just a few games. He's, just, he's probably gonna have a couple of things that that ding him. Um, you know, as he does every year, not really a fault of his, but it's just kind of who he is, and you have to make sure he can still be the dominant force he's been since you know the last since he entered the NBA. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's my thoughts on it. I'm, I mean, I'm excited for the entire NBA, but obviously I'm 
more excited for the Sixers because that's the team I, I focus on solely just as I imagine you're very excited about the Hornets um, in some capacities. But, uh, yeah, I, I just, I mean, I like, I like the Niang signing too. I've talked about that with Evan Roberto. Um, I think I talked about it with Mark Schindler as well. I think he's just a nice, they need more size with the bench and he gives that and you can space the floor. So, um, yeah, we're kind of run, not running out of time, but we're kind of coming down to the hour on it. I do want to talk some Hornet stuff though in general. Um, uh, sorry, I was looking at the, the chat there, but, um, <laughs> or yeah, so just the discussion thing, Eli Blue asked, Jack, did you hear my impact metric? Uh, not Eli, uh, if you have me, if you have me on Twitter, by all means, feel free to DM me or find my email in the bio and share it. Anyhow, um, just want to get kind of your thoughts on the Hornets offseason and kind of what, what you make of how they view LaMelo, their vision around him, what's, what's your perception of what they've done since their season ended three and a half months ago or so? Yeah, it's um, you know, it's it was so obvious once they they picked Lamelo and I and I love the pick. I it was it was a uh, you know uh, it was it was very lucky for him for them that he fell to three. Uh, just easy pick, and you know they hit the ground running and they never looked back. And it was very obvious that like he immediately changes sort of like the 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 next handful of years of of the the arc of the franchise and hopefully beyond that but but at least for now the next couple of years um and it was interesting to see how in the first off season of of that era like what direction they went in um you know they made the deal the the plumley trade the date like you know a couple hours or an hour before the draft or whatever i thought that was okay like they had cap space you know they needed to add a center Plumley, I guess, you know, can be in a rotation. You take that and you can move up 20 spots in the draft and you get a, a project player like uh, or development case like JT Thor. Like that was OK. Um, you know, I would have rather them to have like sort of like harvested it, all of that cap space and maybe try to sh- sign uh, Rashawn Holmes with that. But I, I don't know, maybe he there was just no way he was getting out of Sacramento um, this offseason. But I, I felt like it, for periods of time they were sort of like trying to move in that direction. Um, and could just could just never quite get there. Um, you know, I understand the Devontae Graham uh, sign and trade transaction. Uh, you know, I thought whatever, like they, I would have been willing to pay Devontae above what New Orleans signed him for, which I think was forty seven over four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, which is like I, I like I I don't know if people realize this, dude. Devontae Graham is just a phenomenal offensive player, despite the fact that like he can, mm-hmm. doesn't get to the rim. He doesn't really have a mid-range game, but his pull-up shooting, his spot-up shooting, his movement shooting are all elite. And because of that shooting gravity, he's a really good passer off of it. Mm-hmm. And just there are there are a million different metrics you can look at um, in terms of pull-up shooting or his per possession numbers on synergy or his advanced, you know, you want to pull up his like offensive EPM, whatever. Like all of it just like lights green as Devontae Graham is a really, really good offensive player. And I think they're going to miss that more um, than than maybe even people that really follow the team seriously are considering. Um, the lineups with Graham, Rozier, and Ball were, in a limited sample, very, very good last season. And I think they will miss that um, quite a bit. But I at least like at least there was like a process, right, where they probably had a magic number in their mind. <laughs> and when Graham had the ability to get more money elsewhere, well, then you're like, all right, well, let's at least grab a draft pick. Um, as Devonte is like you may be getting ready to head out the door, so we'll see how that Pelicans pick conveys. Like I don't, I don't really feel super confident about New Orleans making the playoffs this year, so it may convey as two uh, as two second round picks. But you know, we'll see how that how that plays out. Um, 
but I just, they're clearly leaning all into LaMelo Ball as mega creator. And <laughs> they, through the draft and through free agency, both bringing in new players and uh, re- and extending some of their current players, they're leaning all into surrounding LaMelo with athletic play finishers and shooters that have some, you know, some off dribble, you know, creation aspects. But for the most part, like the ball is going to be in this guy's hands. Charlotte's going to obviously play fast as hell. Um, it, I mean, they, they really made huge jumps in terms of pace from both two seasons ago to this past season with LaMelo. And when LaMelo was on the court, um, they, I think they were averaged under, they were at 13.9 seconds per possession when LaMelo was in the game, which is just, it's, yeah, I mean, they're, they were smoking, man. Um, I do sort of wonder if they've maybe overdone it a little bit by bringing mm-hmm. in so many, and like, I don't even, like, I don't think JT Thor's going to play a lot of meaningful basketball for the Hornets this season. Kai Jones, if you saw him out in Vegas, like, he's got a ways to go uh, in terms of development. I mean, I know some of the highlight dunks were cool, but just, like, he's not ready to play NBA defense. Um, and I, I don't really know what his offense looks like when, Pete, when like, people are closing out and not going for his, his pump fake, which is sort of, like, how he unlocks the, the drive game. Maybe playing next to LaMelo would simplify things, just, like, you know, run the court, catch lobs, et cetera. Um, but bringing in a guy like Ubre again, another I know Kelly's made strides last season in terms of his own playmaking and and ball handling capabilities, but I don't really foresee him as a guy that's going to get a ton of on ball reps. Um, you know, Rozier has turned into a really really good movement. I'm sorry, I'm skipping around here, so just no, forgive, no you're good. For, I know, forgive, I, 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 me here. I am following at least. I hope yeah, right listening are, but I a lot of different a lot of different play finishers right it's kind of the idea yeah yes yes yeah 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 so a lot of and so it's just very obvious that like when it comes to the offense next season charlotte is going to be really heavily dependent on Lamelo to create advantage and to build advantage and to make the right decisions off of that um and so i think a couple things are really important you know Lamelo's got to get stronger he can get he can get to the rim uh, he had mm-hmm. a decent number of attempts at the rim this season. He does some weird stuff around the basket. You know, he always wants to get to that left hand or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he's going to have to get stronger and get, become more durable finishing around the basket. And the pull-up three, he finished at a pretty good clip for it. I think he was probably 35 36% on pull-up threes. Um, that number dipped some when he came back from the wrist injury. Like, he was not the same pull-up shooter. But, you know, he's going to have to force teams to not like, te- you know, teams aren't like he's going to have to force teams to like fight over the top of those screens and not just drop under. Like he's going to have to create advantage off of that. When he gets switches, he's going to have to get into the paint. And I think you saw plenty of that last season during a you know a really good rookie year for for LaMelo. But, you know, there just there's no Devontae Graham in his pull up gravity to, to play off of. Cody Zeller's screen setting is gone. Malik Monk and his movement shooting and his rim pressure, like that's gone on a minimum contract to Los Angeles. So like they just lost a lot of their uh, guys that helped get the ball from side to side offensively like Zeller or, you know, were, uh, you know, lead ball handlers for them like Graham or were play finishers and passers for them like Monk. And so just you've put a ton on LaMelo's plate as he's about to turn 20 or just turn 20 or whatever. Um, to have a, a big, big season, and I, I think he's capable of doing it. It's just asking a, a lot out of uh, 
out of out of Lamelo Ball. So uh, they'll be fun to watch. They'll be fascinating to see. But I, you know, I don't think they're necessarily going to be a like a really good basketball team by any stretch. To be not at this stage, at least. Yeah, absolutely. And I do want to say it is Lamelo's birthday today. So uh, everyone is happy twentieth. Dot, which shows how young, yeah. how young he is still. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think that's a great point. Just breaking down all the different types of play finishes they got. Um, obviously, Rozier is a great off-ball shooter. Um, really, just a really awesome, like legitimately an awesome off-ball shooter last year. Um, and it has been a good one throughout his career. It's always been kind of his strength offensively. Um, kind of the slasher off of previously created advantage. So, yeah, I am curious to see what they do. Obviously, you know, Hayward has some creation equity, but his health is just so precarious, right. unfortunately. Um, but he, I, he was like, he was really good offensively last year when he was healthy. Um, and so I, 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 I don't know. I, I understand. I, I don't mind the vision. I, I just don't know if I loved every move when you analyze them all together. Like, I wouldn't have minded maybe letting Devonte go or letting Cody go or letting Malik go, but all of them together feels like a lot to rely on Lamelo. And I just, I don't. I think part of the reason I think the infrastructure was really good for Lamelo last year, and that it allowed him to balance on and off ball duties. And this year, it feels like they're really kind of are seeing yes. kind of exploring the depths of that on ball creation. Um, and to Lamelo's credit, he's gotten so much better every year since he was like, fit. I mean, probably earlier than that, but since I started watching him in any capacity since he was like 15, like the rim pressure last year was so much better than it was in the NBA. Like I think he was on synergy. He was over like 30% of his shots in the half court were around the basket. Yeah. Um, I don't know what they were in the NBL, but I do know they are much lower. Um, the finishing wasn't great, but shooting at the rim is like the most efficient spot you can shoot. So like, you know, I was ta- I think I was talking about this with, with Mark Schindler, his own podcast about someone else. Um, like, if you rank in the 84th percentile on runners and the 12th percentile on at the rim, you're probably still like you're probably still shooting better at the rim. That's not to say that floaters don't have a, a place, but yeah. if you can get to the rim more, it's probably worthwhile. So um, I'm really curious. I mean, you probably I could probably talk about every single team in the NBA, and I would have some sort of takeaway that revolves around. I'm really curious to see this, but I am legitimately very curious to see how well Lamelo handles this. If he falls short in some regards, how does the front office and whatnot assess that moving forward? Um, but they're they're a really interesting team, and um, I, I think the points about like Graham is really good. Like I, I totally agree with you. I think people get distorted because of the the lack of free throws, the lack of rim pressure, the mid range jumper discomfort. Um, but the passing's there, the off movement shooting. Like he, he's a starting caliber player. And I don't think he's like a high end starter, but I think he's a yeah. guy. You can, he was one of the 150 best players in the NBA, and that's what you need to be to be a starter. Um, I don't know exactly where I rank. I'm not going to get into that sort of discussion, but <laughs> I totally agree that he is really good, um, and I, I think he helped them last year a lot. So is it fair to say, like, just kind of based on your tone, that you expect them to be probably somewhat worse than last year? Do you think maybe Lamelo's health, maybe Hayward's health, you could counteract that? Like, what do you what do you make of the next year? Are they kind of a fringe playing team, or where, yeah. where are you at with this with this squad? Yeah, I kind of see them like nine through eleven somewhere, like fringe, fringe play-in team. Um, I think they got a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit worse. If it's interesting because they they committed to this big extension with Terry earlier in, earlier this week, and I'm thrilled for Terry to get paid like he's had. He's been great the last two seasons, so like he's like you know you want to see these guys cash in, and I'm, I'm happy for him. Um, you know, I I don't. Yeah, the fit with he and Lamelo is not perfect for reasons we probably don't have all the time to get into. And, and Rozier is like routinely a a poor defender, uh, very makes a lot of mistakes on that end, poor rotator. 
Um, if the shot ever fell off, he doesn't really give you much else offensively. Mm-hmm. He's probably due for some regression because he, from the mid range where he shot so well from, I mean, he was like a, you know, 46, 48% mid range shooter last year, which is like <laughs> well above a career number. Yeah. I just thought at this point with Rozier, again, before the extension, he was on an expiring contract at a pretty good number. Um, at a time where I think his, like the perception of Rozier as like a, a scorer and a shooter, um, and the shooting is legit, but his perception as like a, a scorer and like a leverage score, I think is higher than his actual value. And so I just thought this would have been a perfect time to have like considered Terry as like a, a trade chip, especially if you go into the season and things don't, you know, uh, you know, Hayward misses time, LaMelo falls short in terms of one of his development ways, Charlotte's 13th in the Eastern Conference. Well, then, all right, try to flip, you know, Terry uh, at the deadline to a contender and, 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 and get something for him. Um, but it just seemed like they were almost resetting the timeline uh, this offseason by moving on from Graham, by moving on from Monk. And, and Monk's cap hold played a role into all of that. He had like a $16 million cap hold, which like they had to get off the books so they could actually have some cap space. So what, you know, I get that. But um, he's seeing him walk for nothing uh, to go play on a minimum, I guess, kind of get right contract with the Lakers is, uh, you know, a, a, little, a, a little deflating. But just if not for the presence of Hayward, it just seemed like they were really resetting this around LaMelo. And now with the extension to, um, to Terry, I think it, maybe it changes that a little bit. I don't think it's like a boat anchor or an albatross necessarily. Um, and Charlotte still, for the most part, has all of their picks. I mean, we'll see where this Kai Jones to, you know, the, 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 the future first that they traded to New York so they could get into 19 and draft Kai. We'll see where that lands. They did protect that pick, uh, quite heavily, um, you know, we don't have the time and we will, we won't be able to touch on guys like Miles Bridges and, and PJ Washington, who, you know, Miles had a great season last year. We'll see mm-hmm. if they get to an extension with him this off season, but he's heading into a really, really big year, especially if he ends up, if there's is no extension this summer and you go into next off season with him as a restricted free agent, you know, we'll see what that looks like. Um, I imagine we'll still see a lot of PJ Washington at small ball center. Um, he made strides defensively last year. Um, but he really struggles to finish around like NBA length in the rim. It's something he's got to get better at, but he's just above the break in corner three point shooting, what it can do to breathe life into an offense, you know, should really help out LaMelo. Um, and they've got a lot of different guys that can screen and roll screen and pop screen and dive. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they like intertwine all of those guys around LaMelo's handle and, uh, and his passing. So I don't know. Like I, I think they're for the most part they're in they're in a good spot uh going forward. But like the the, the Rosier extension is a little interesting. The last thing I I do want to make sure I want to get this in too, because that Ubre contract, only five million is is guaranteed next season. Um I believe the the Plumley deal is also non guaranteed to a certain extent next season as well. I just Charlotte has because they have those two deals plus all of these draft picks. The Hornets have set themselves up to maybe be a trade team next offseason, which I think mm-hmm. is, like, is something to maybe to keep an eye on. Um, but that's a little bit further uh, further down the road. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I agree with with all those points. And the yeah, the thing about Terry is I think Lamelo is a very he's a very good kind of compliment for Terry. I don't think Terry is a very good compliment for Lamelo. Yes. Um, and those and those I mean those things don't necessarily they're not mutually exclusive. Um, but I think that's an important thing, and that's that's like. Yeah, like I'm never going to advocate for a player to, to make less money. The way I try to frame the Terry deals, they're paying him like roughly a top 50-ish guy. 
And I struggle to see him approximate that value, even if he remains a very good off-ball shooter. It's just really tough to be a top 50 player if your kind of main utility is a off-ball shooter and you don't have a bunch of other ancillary skills, especially an off-ball shooter at his size. So yeah. um, great for Terry to get another big contract. Of course, he was very good last year, but I just don't I just don't know if it was necessary to, to offer him that. I, just, I wonder how... like. If you're going all in Lamelo, I don't know how much he helps Lamelo there. They kind of feel like counterintuitive things, but again, it's it's a bunch of money from billionaires. I don't really care what they do with it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, good for Terry and whatnot. But I, but yeah, this team is really interesting. Um, again, I'll, I'm going to probably run through every team in the East at some point before the season starts, and you'll hear me say some form of really interesting. I'm curious about. But Brian, really appreciate you coming on, giving your thoughts on Railroad, the Sixers, some Hornets talk. Um, where can people find you? Where can they read your work? Where can they listen to you? Give yourself a little shout out here. Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, bgeis underscore bird, B-G-E-I-S underscore bird. Uh, the, the handle is stupid. I made it uh, a long time ago <laughs> when I didn't know what Twitter actually was. We hope, uh, we've all been there, I'm, don't worry. Uh, but I'm just, I'm sticking with it. I, I missed exactly. the window of when I, when I could have changed it, I think. Uh, <laughs> so we're keeping it there. But uh, I co-host a podcast, the, the BuzzBeat podcast, which is on the Blue Wire Network. And I do that with my, one of my buddies, Richie Randall, Spencer Percy, and, and, and Lee Branscombe. So, you know, we've been you know, draft-heavy, free agency-heavy, but we'll have some fun off-season stuff heading into the season. And I think you can find that podcast everywhere, you know, uh, <laughs> Apple, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever. Um, and also, I'm a staff writer at accsports.com. So if you're into – College basketball, sort of doing longer form film numbers pieces around ACC hoops and ACC draft prospects. Uh, you can find that uh, content there as uh, as well. Uh, yeah, so definitely would. Uh, what's the word? I'm looking to, definitely would advocate or encourage you to check <laughs> out all of Brian's work. The the Hornets have a pretty small contingent of people who cover the team, but they all do an excellent job, and Brian is one of them, and then everyone on that pod as well. Um, for everyone listening, I'll be back tomorrow to get in some Sixers schedule talk. Um, bring a guest on. We'll talk about back-to-backs, three games in four nights, five games in seven days, road trips, all that good stuff. Um, but in the meantime, talk to you tomorrow. Stay happy. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Talk to you soon.